Hello and welcome to Friday Formula, a weekly motorsport podcast where this week we're talking about Mercedes doing the double with the first Dutch world champion and no, we are not predicting the 2024 Formula One results. I'm Owen Bellwood and as always I'm joined by Will Longman. How are you this week, Will? I'm good, thank you. That was an electric intro. Hey, hey. I enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, not too bad. Survived a week without you. We got by. I know, we just about managed without incessantly rambling about cars for 45 minutes. I mean, I still turned up last week in front of my computer and just talked about cars to myself just to keep <laughs> practicing, you know, keep keeping my game. Yeah, we don't want don't to lose touch, do we? No, but we've come back because of... It feels weird there being a championship ending in August. Yeah, I know this is like the time Formula E traditionally wraps up, but... It's weird timing to have been queued up for a big summer break and then to be like, oh, wait, it's actually also the first Formula E World Championship to be decided. And it was and quite exciting. It was an absolutely mental race, wasn't it? Yeah. I think one of the things that made it kind of so crazy and unpredictable was how many people there were that could come out of the weekend crowned champion. So we were we were going into Berlin where there were going to be two races on Saturday and Sunday, as there have been the past couple of events. And the big names that were kind of vying for the victory were Nick DeFries, Mortara, Evans and Dennis. They were kind of the top contenders. Did you have any preference going in who you wanted to be the first world champion in Formula E? I think I, think I wanted Jake Dennis. I don't know if it's because he was only to the Brit. But also, I think the rookie story would have been great. Have a rookie kind of take it by storm. Yeah, I kind of agree. I think Jake Dennis, it was his first season in Formula E. And to come out of it with two wins and a couple of fifth place finishes in such a competitive series as Formula E was pretty impressive. He did have his DNS, but I think everyone does, don't they? So, <laughs> yeah. I was particularly gutted when he did. Um, clipped the wall after the restart and was forced into early retirement from the race. But he was just like the first title contender, or not, he wasn't the first title contender that kind of binned it, because Mitch Evans didn't even get off the line, did he? Yeah. um, Just as the lights went out, Mitch Evans' car didn't start, so Mortara in the Rocket Venturi ploughed into the back of it. And it was so bizarre how like we're both kind of predominantly Formula One fans. So to have three title contenders in a race seems mad. To have three title contenders retire from a race just seems insane. Yeah. It's it's madness. But that's kind of the that's kind of what Formula E is, isn't it? It's it, it's just a different level of exciting. Yeah, there's been a lot of um comments through the season where it's been like who's writing the script for Formula E what's going on you couldn't write this you couldn't make this up and uh, so I think it was quite apt that we ended with utter madness but like we had those three retirements and then the tussles and the elbows were out with everyone else because they were the championship leaders and because of De Vries qualifying a bit further down it kind of opened it up so there were lots of people getting their elbows out and Coming a bit, not dirty, but maybe a little bit more aggressive than they would normally have been. 
just because oh. points were on the line and they could have won. I mean, like, you know, it's not as fast as Formula One, but Formula One fans want wheel-to-wheel racing to the extent where they're changing the rules completely next year. Honestly, just stick Formula E on because I can't. I think it was Roland and someone else were fighting for second and third during this race, and they were so close. I think they were like inside each other's cars. Like they couldn't yeah. have got any closer. It was like insane racing, and that's why you do get crashes because yeah, maybe they're going a little bit slower in Formula E, and they can afford to like try and go on the brakes a little bit later and maybe not mm-hmm. pull it off. But boy, some of the moves in this race were absolutely mental. Yeah. Do you also think that the fact that there's more cars on the grid makes people get a little bit tusslier and a little bit closer racing because there's so many people fighting for still just points in the top 10? Yeah. And I think it helps that it's essentially a spec series. Mm-hmm. You know, in, you get a lot more wheel to wheel racing in F2 and F3 where there are like 24, 26 cars that are all the same and then it is really a test of the driver's skill and that's kind of what Formula E is as well, it's just setting up these Gen 3 cars that we've got at the moment. Yeah, there is there's a few differences in um, drivetrain um, and the whole package that each driver has but yeah, there are a lot more similarities across cars than in things like Formula 1. Yeah. So I guess, yeah like you say, the kind of closer racing comes about as a result of that rather than limiting the innovation that people have in f1 and it means that anyone gets a chance like you were saying nick De Fri- you know the title contenders are out nick defries is hanging around seventh eighth place so norman nato goes and takes his first ever win yeah and so nato was then the 11th winner throughout this uh, season so far do you think there's any chance of us getting to 11 different winners in a Formula 1 season? Well, it depends. We've just come off the back of uh, Esteban Ocon being the fourth this season. We are getting there, to be fair. <laughs> oh, yeah. If if, La- if if Lando and Bottas can win a couple, then uh, it could be almost as exciting. Um, no, there's no chance that that's going to happen. It used to win Formula 1. It did used to be like that. Uh, the kind of the turn of the last decade the hybrid era where you had quite a few teams battling it out but that's what's been quite refreshing about and it's not just Formula E like there are plenty of other motorsports where it is completely open like the MotoGP race in Austria this weekend was Hmm. absolutely balmy but you go into MotoGP weekend at the moment and whereas it used to be Mark Marquez winning every week after it was Valentino Rossi winning every week the last couple of years it's been completely open just like Formula E is and it's just as mental as well like some of the racing action has been insane but Formula E gets the bad rap and I'm not really sure I can put my finger on why such an exciting sport that produces what everyone wants from great racing gets that bad reputation yeah I've never really understood why people seem to just write it off Um, because it is so unpredictable and so exciting and like, there's a lot of things that have happened through the year that you just could not have predicted. Like when Formula E was in Monaco, it was polar opposites to a Formula One race in Monaco, where there were so many different overtaking moves and things. And as you touched on, these are all things that Formula One fans are shouting out for. Mm. So 
I don't know if it's a case of like some kind of messaging they've got to do, some kind of like advertising campaign to get new people in, but it feels like there's a lot of traditional motorsport fans, in inverted commas, that uh, don't seem to get on with it for some reason. And in my mind, they are all very wrong. And they're all missing out as well. But I, I think it will change when electric cars become mainstream because mm-hmm. I, I think that's what people struggle with a little bit. They see electric cars as an alternative to what they drive. And yeah. now you're seeing a lot more on the roads. They're not this like distant dystopian fantasy anymore. We actually have electric race cars. <laughs> like it's, it, it's a thing. We've just had the first world champion, like you said, uh, when you opened. So maybe that will help as well, boost the profile a bit. It shows that it's being taken a bit more seriously by the motorsport world. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so it, it can only be, have a positive future. Mm-hmm. The one thing that I think might impact this positive future is that after season seven finishes, we're going to lose Audi and BMW. And then at the end of season eight, we're also going to use Mercedes. And they're like three big German manufacturers that have all committed to electric vehicles in the future. And like Mercedes have said, they're pulling out so they can focus on their own electric cars. Do you think this is going to impact like the relevancy of Formula E losing such big manufacturers? I don't think so. I mean, it's it's a big loss, obviously, but there are more teams coming in as well. So McLaren have an intention to join Formula E. And, you know, where do McLaren race? They race in IndyCar, they race in Formula One. They're not, traditionally, they don't make road cars that you and me would go out and buy. They are a racing team, a sports car manufacturer. That's cool. It's cool that they're in Formula E. Whereas Audi, BMW, Mercedes, they're really doing it to advertise their electric cars. And that's probably job done now. Yeah, I guess now that people are going out and buying these, not ultra high end, but higher end electric cars, they are their name's already out there and they don't maybe need to shout about their product as much. But something that kind of similar to what you said about McLaren, like they're obviously developing the batteries at the moment. Uh, and they're going to do Extreme E from next season. But I think Porsche are now kind of the most luxurious brand in Formula E, but someone that I thought might be, I don't know, this is blue sky thinking, but Bugatti have just been sold to a Croatian electric car manufacturer and are going to become fully electric. They've uh, pledged to be wholly electric vehicles down the line. Do you think we could see these super luxurious Bugatti Formula E cars a few years down the line? And what about Tesla? They're the biggest name in electric racing. Why isn't someone like that eyeing this platform up? Yeah, we've spoken about Tesla before, haven't we? I think the last time we spoke about Formula E, we were like, yeah, that'd be cool. But he's too busy building rockets instead. <laughs> like... Um, Bugatti is a fascinating one. <laughs> <laughs> I was just wandering around thinking about like car brands that have committed to electric, like Aston Martin or another one. They've said they're going to have electric vehicles by 2024, I think it is. Mm-hmm. So maybe they could have a crossover and they've also got ties with Mercedes. So who knows? Yeah. 
Aston Martin would be a cool one. Like maybe Alpine could make the jump over. They're in WEC at the moment. Um, and they're going to be developing a, or they're in the hypercar this year. I think they've also got ambitions to be fully electric as well. Well, everyone does. Everyone has to because the legislation is enforcing it, really. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, with like Alpine is like the Renault house's bespoke electric vehicle. I think that's what the ambition is. Right. Rather than it being a company that makes non-electric and electric cars. Like Polestar is with Volvo. I mean, it's technically like a separate company, but it started as a Volvo design house and it's now the Volvo electric cars. But like kind of looking way down the line in like 10, 15 years, the sales of all the non-electric cars are going to be banned. Mm. So they don't need to worry about selling their petrol cars anymore. A bit like we were saying with Audi and BMW, they've kind of joined Formula E to raise awareness that they are producing these electric cars. And now they are because you watch a TV advert for Audi and it's almost 95% going to be for their newest electric car. The same with BMW. So that's their job done. So, I mean, yeah, these luxury cars, maybe maybe we'll start to see them come back in. Like, we, it could... You, yeah, you're kind of convincing me that it might happen, yeah. but I'm, I still don't think we're going to see a Bugatti on the Formula E grid. <laughs> I think they've, um, what's the word, kind of committed to also doing endurance racing because um, there was a concept out earlier this year that just had the most insanely enormous rear wing. I'm pretty sure I could take a nap on and it would have been <laughs> fine. Um, so maybe, I, it, it was just a thought I had. Oh, they've been sold. Maybe they'll do it. I'll put some money on it now. Could make you a very rich. <laughs> yeah, they do also have like ties to VW Group as well, so it could fill the shoes of Audi or something. Yes. But we digress. As we touched on at the start, the first World Championship was awarded to Nick De Vries in the Mercedes, and he is a driver that there's been quite a lot of chatter about recently. Do you think him having now won the championship, is that going to spur him on to stay and defend his title? Or could he be about to get swept up in the rumour mill uh, and end up in Formula One? How do you think this has improved, affected his chances? I don't really think it will have done either. Mm -hmm. I think it shows that he's committed. I think it shows that he's probably very technically minded. He's a decent driver, right? You have to be to become a world champion in any of these series. But I, d- I still don't think it's going to be winning the Formula E championship that would get him a seat at Williams. I still think it would be he was the F2 champion in 2019. Yeah. Like, that's what's proved he's one of the best drivers that could get that seat. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. I kind of I, I appreciate what you mean about him showcasing himself with F2 because... He obviously did have a great season, but he was very lucky and the stars really did align for him to win the championship this year. Like we're so used to Mercedes dominating Formula One, but they didn't dominate Formula E. They got quite lucky with who retired and where team where people ended up finishing. So I don't know how if if it's gonna improve his chances of going into Formula Formula One. Um I also kind of still haven't decided if 
if I'd like to see him make the move or not. Obviously, it would be amazing for him to to step up into Formula. Is it a step up? Step across into Formula One, maybe. I think it's but a step up. I think it's a step up. I think it's still step across. Um, mm. Yeah, I'm convinced of that. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. First Dutch world I mean, champion is very exciting yeah. for him to have, though. I actually think that is a major sticking point into why it might happen because mm -hmm. the Dutch market for Formula One at the moment is enormous for obvious reasons. Yeah. And I think a team like Williams with an opportunity to tap into that at a time where their car is improving for sure. They're turning the tide a little bit on some terrible seasons in the last few years. Yeah. Could do them the world of good. Are we going to see every team have like what that's going to be a rule basically? You've got to have one Dutch driver. Oh, yeah. Well, it seems to have happened with Finnish drivers in Formula One over the last couple of decades, isn't it? That's true. That's true. Yeah, I kind of I think a lot of people are expecting there to be an announcement soon. I have a feeling it's all going to kick off next week. You think next week? Because that's when we'll be back to press conferences and the like, isn't it? Yeah, Wednesday, Thursday, I reckon that might be the. Uh... Might be the day. Okay. Keep my diary free. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll record a podcast about it. Oh, yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> so while Nick DeFries has got to decide what he's going to be up to next year, there's also kind of the, not uncertainty, but the changes in Formula E itself. We're going to be moving into the Gen 3 cars, which come with slightly different rules, I believe. I think the format is going to be tweaked slightly to kind of accommodate the new cars with the new power because uh, they're meant to be able to run for a bit longer and it's going to be the return of open wheel racing. But something that I saw on, uh, I think it was on race fans, was that some teams are wanting to use the Gen 2 cars for a support series. Do you think this oh. is another thing that's kind of needed to not legitimize, but add a bit of pizzazz to Formula E? Yeah, that'd be quite that'd be quite cool. I like I I hadn't heard of that. I I th I'm pretty sure it was race fans uh, on Monday said that quite a few teams because the cars are still really competitive and they're not exactly dated like they're still kind of at the cutting edge of racing. They'd like to be able to run a slightly smaller series that could take place over the same weekend, maybe like the day before, something like that, like we see in Formula One with. Formula 2 and 3. Hmm. Um, I think it's a really cool idea, especially because then you'd have more chances for young drivers to get into higher levels of motorsport and it just yeah. gives more of a stage for people to showcase what they can do behind a wheel. But I think they have to be careful because the whole thing that Formula E is kind of about is being more sustainable and better for the planet and a lot of that doesn't isn't about the cars themselves but the circus that travels with it and if you're going to mm. put in a support series that's doubling the amount of people there that's doubling the amount of cargo you have to double the size of the paddock then is that going to be achieving the original goal of being a sustainable series yeah that is true i guess the not kind of a counter argument but something to consider would be that sustainability is also about longevity so if they've got these vehicles that are working, surely it makes sense to keep using them in some way. But I completely agree that 
doubling the size and doubling the airfare and doubling the shipping costs is not yeah. sustainable. Do you think, we know they did the first race at a proper circuit when they went to Ricardo Tormo in Spain earlier mm. this year. Do we think we can see them as the cars kind of get more powerful and better battery life, etc., etc.? Going going to some some classic circuits. Can you see Formula E taking on No Rouge anytime soon? I hope not, because okay. one of like the one of the things I love most about Formula E is seeing race cars where they shouldn't be. I've kind of touched on this before when we talked about uh, Formula E at Monaco. I think Formula E cars racing around Docklands or racing around the New York Harbour uh, and on the streets of Rome are all places where you shouldn't see racing. So that's mm-hmm. one of the things that makes it more exciting. Like the streets are so much narrower. There's more likely to be like incidents and action and stuff. That's like a major draw of the series for me. Um, maybe as like a, not like a regular week in, week out, but maybe if there was like one event a season where they went to a classic track, um, not even like just Formula One, circuit somewhere like Laguna Seca uh, which is quite an iconic circuit would be cool to race at so maybe that's an aspect it could bring in but I would say predominantly cities is the way forward for me what about you do you pine for a racetrack every time you see a street circuit no but I think it'd be nice to have the variation (laughs) because like I think the design of some of the circuits that you've got on these streets in Formula E is very can be quite right angly and let's just yeah. stick in a couple of hairpins i mean the hairpins at the excel center for example were just stupid but it was it was ridiculous and mm-hmm. i guess you're gonna get that on street circuits sometimes where you are following the roads you know i'd like to see them maybe maybe not silverstone but like brands hatch yeah. give it a run there or some of the lesser raced out circuits in in europe some more, um, you know, we've we've had great variation in Formula One because of the COVID calendar. I'm mm. um, going to places like Mugello. Let's expand the horizons a little bit, and it shouldn't really matter where. The, I I understand the point that like it's cool seeing them where they shouldn't be, but now I feel like seeing a Formula E car on a racetrack is seeing Formula E cars where they shouldn't be because we never see it. That's true. That is true. I think one thing that kind of dampens. The, my like, attitude towards them on racetracks is that the Valencia event was like shambles feels like a strong word but it was a bit of a shambles yeah. and it was kind of I think it hit Formula E's reputa- uh, reputation a little bit because a lot of people turned it on and saw all the cars running out of battery and just the madness on track and thought what is this so I don't think that helped so maybe they do need that opportunity to redeem themselves. But that was completely... That wasn't the circuit's fault, was it? That was Formula E's fault. Yeah, they because... took away too much energy after the safety car, I think I think it was. Yeah, and I think, didn't they modify the circuit in certain ways? Like they put in a random chicane just before the start-finish line mm. for seemingly no reason. But, I mean, really, what's the reason to any chicane? <laughs> <laughs> it's very philosophical on chicanes. Uh, it is. I'm going to get it tattooed on my leg. <laughs> the name of your first album. Yeah. 
but um, I guess that's kind of a wider point. Do you think Formula E obviously grows quite a lot each year? To me, the end of this season kind of feels a bit like a turning point where it's like they've convinced more people that it's a quote proper race series. Do you think more people are now going to cotton on to that and see it for what it is? And is this now the start of a rapid upward trajectory? Or is it going to stay as like a ugly stepsister of Formula One? I think it is going to require broadcast deal. Mm-hmm. A proper permanent broadcast deal. We've had a couple of races on BBC, a couple of races on Channel 4, but it's not been... You have to keep up with it and it's all about convincing your regular Joe or an F1 fan who has easy access to Formula 1 highlights on TV that this is something they have to watch for 45 minutes slash an hour on a Saturday or Sunday. And they don't have that at the moment because it's it's all over the place. So if they've convinced Channel 4 or BBC 2 like this year to take it on for next year, I think that it could have success. Mm-hmm. Because I think as a racing series, it's got all the elements that lead to an exciting series. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I would agree. Like back home in the UK before moving over here, it was always a bit confusing how you were going to watch, where you were going to watch, when you were going to watch. It is surprisingly simpler in the US. It's just on CBS where you just know it's going to be on and that's it. Or you watch the qualifying on YouTube. Um, but I feel like Drive to Survive has obviously done amazingly well for Formula One. And there is, Formula E has its own film uh, called And We Go Green that kind of follows it through series four, I think it was. And that was kind of not really showered about much in the UK. It was on Channel 4 at like midnight once. And that was about it. And I have watched it and it's really exciting and it gets you, the same way Drive to Survive does, it gets you involved in all the personalities and you come out knowing who you want to support. And I think something like that with a much wider availability is another thing that the series needs. Like look at Formula One's YouTube, how they're doing Grill the Grid and getting people to know all the drivers now. You kind of need that in Formula E because they're all teams that don't have like an avid following. Like you get Ferrari fans, they're always going to follow Ferrari. There isn't that like star presence to bring people into Formula E. You need to showcase what you've got. So I reckon drive to, I don't know, electric drive, drive. (laughs) (laughs) There's an electric themed series name in there somewhere. Charge to survive. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it needs. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. You don't really know much about the drivers at all really no apart from Nick de Vries is the first Dutch world champion in motorsport congratulations that is what brought a lot of people into Formula 1 you're completely right drive to survive it's just pretty simple isn't it just do the same like if MotoGP want to get more fans give the fans more access yeah and it's you know it's what I think WEC could do it and Formula E could easily do it yeah I think that's what it is it's all about letting people kind of appreciate what goes on because P1 
people can only watch it. It's not like football where you can kick a ball about and realize how hard football is. You've got to hear it from the drivers and like after race coverage and things like that can often be quite dry. And Drive to Survive did a really good job of bringing out the characters. And there's some brilliant characters in Formula E, like Lucas Degrassi and Sam Bird. They're kind of these big personalities that really highlight what the sport's about. So you've got to give them a platform to be like, yeah, come see why I'm brilliant. So that's what I'd like to see. I agree. So that was all of our thoughts on the final of the Formula E World Championship and the whole kind of season and its future as a whole. What do you think? Are you interested in the future of Formula E? Would you like to hear us talk about more of the sport? Obviously, it's going on a break now until the end of the year, but we'd love to hear your thoughts on Formula E and your predictions for the future. Is a Bugatti team on the cards? You can uh, let us know anything like that on Twitter. You can reach out to the show at Friday Formula or each of us individually. I'm at Owen underscore Bellwood. And Will, you are? At Will Longman. We'd love to hear from you. (laughs) That's everything from us this week. We will be back next week. Uh, You'll have another episode on Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. So to be on top of that, don't forget to subscribe. And while you're there, why not leave a review? We'd love to hear what you think. All that's left to say is thank you so much for listening. Hope you have a lovely weekend. Goodbye. Goodbye.